0: When it comes to fitness, what's real? How about when it really, truly fits your life? That's how Anytime Fitness sees it. Because our coaches see you. It's how they build personal plans that work wherever you are and focus on everything that matters, from fitness to nutrition to recovery, all so you can push yourself further than ever or just through the next rep. It's total 360 support for a real difference. That's Anytime Fitness. That's Real AF. Visit AnytimeFitness.com.
1: Welcome to Rex Factor! This week, James the Third! With your hosts, Graham Duke and Ali Cook.
0: Hello, oh, hello and welcome to Rex Factor reviewing all the kings and queens of Scots, from Kenneth Macalpin to James the Sixth. And today, yeah, James Third, Because I did an intro that was very nearly James II. Yeah. And uh, as the fact that you thought we were going to do James II, despite the fact that we did him last time, perhaps, mm. this would be a good opportunity for some backgroundy stuff.: as oh, It's yes been so. uh, been a while for, in, uh, for us since we lasted an episode. Some holidays. Indeed. So we're onto the Stuarts, and we're onto the Jameses. Mm-hmm. More particularly. So, into the 15th century, the first James spent his first 17 years as a prisoner in England. Yeah When he became king in Scots, he removed his powerful Albany Stuart cousins, and by remove, I mean ritually executed, sought to restore law and order, subdued the Lord of the Isles. It was all looking pretty good, yeah. but then it all went a bit uh, hair shaped. Hair shaped? Hair shaped. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know the classic hair-shaped scenario. Uh, awful. Um, he was a bit high-handed with his nobles. He launched a failed attack to recapture Roxburgh from the English, and then the Lord of the Isles had to be restored when things broke down in the north of Scotland. And then he was murdered by his last surviving uncle by Will- a, by a tennis ball in a toilet, sort of yep. under the tennis courts in the sewers mm. by his uncle. So he was dead at 43, so his son, James II, became king. Oh, yes. And he had something of a temper. Which, of course, led him to actually murdering the most powerful noble (laughs) in Scotland, the Earl of Douglas, which led to a civil war in which he defeated all of Douglas's various brothers. Yeah, he was rather good. He got the rax factor. He did get the rax factor, but unfortunately for him, it also ended quite early and quite violently. He launched a successful attack on Roxburgh, unlike his father, but was killed when standing next to a cannon that exploded. Yes. So only 29 years old, and yet again, we move to a James who becomes king as a boy. James III. James the third. He is the son of James II and Mary of Gelge, and he's born on the 10th of July 1451, or sometime in May 1452.
1: Why or? Oh, what's going on there?
0: Well, there's a bit of uncertainty about when exactly it happened. His biographer thinks it was probably May 1452. It's sort of about certain records, a little bit unclear, and it depends on when he was born, also to where he was born. Huh. Um, Either way, that means he's roughly 8 or 9 when he becomes king in 1460
1: That's going to be tricky for dynasty, isn't it? It's going to be tricky No, no. what do I mean?
0: Longevity Yeah, longevity And I mean, dynasty, he needs to get old enough for (laughs) that to become something (laughs) we're going to talk about But what's he going to look like Ah. on the Heritage Limited playing card, Ali? Little
1: man No, hang on, I'm only saying that because he's young That's nonsense Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, the last two have been really weird, haven't they? I remember Mm. him, one of them had very odd attire that turned out to be completely accurate. So, along those lines, a pair of hose, Mm. a pointy shoe, Mm. a tartan top, and a floppy hat. Well, well, well. (laughs) I was not (laughs) expecting that. None of the above is
0: the best description.
1: (laughs) Not a little man. Absolutely. I mean, soaked in armour mm. here. Um he's he's Henry the Fifth. He's Henry Mark V. He's got a um uh sword and a dagger. I mean fully armoured, crown on the head, very regal looking, and is that a pole axe? Can it's- I make a prediction now? Yeah. Rex factor.
0: Wow. Amazing. So, James the Third, let's find out what he's gonna be. Well, initially, of course, he's not going to be a tall man in shining armour because there's a minority. Ah, He's just a boy. Mm. The first person to leave this minority is his mother, Mary of Gelge. Okay. That sounds like she's going to have his best interests at heart. It's not a dubious uncle. or Indeed, and she seems to have been a very capable and quite well-respected woman. She takes control of the regency, puts her own men in charge of Stirling and Edinburgh castles to Mm. try and see off any kind of coup. Scenario that might have happened under James II. Um, She also, quite impressively, oversees the final stages of capturing Roxburgh Castle. Oh, right. James II captured the town, but he was in the process of besieging the castle. Yeah. So they did actually carry on after he died and finished the job with her overseeing efforts. But she does face uh, a bit of a rival, uh, a chap called Bishop Kennedy. Mm. He's a veteran statesman He served under James the I and the Second He was abroad in 1460 When James the Second died And he felt that really he was the senior man That should be running the show But he was out of the country at the mm. time And there's a bit of to and fro uh, between the two He initially comes back and styles himself Governor of Scotland But Mary does seem to be able to take back control He just sort of gave himself a title He just came back and said I'm the Governor of Scotland now Weird. Leave it to me it seems that, though, from
1: the previous episodes, if you control Edinburgh and Stirling, they're the ones that t- really matter.
0: And, of course, the, uh, the boy king himself, of course. But if yes, you control the castles, yeah. there's, he's likely to be in one of the two. Yeah, right. So they're kind of at odds with each other, but really the big issue at the time is what Scotland's going to do about England. Yeah, what's the situation there? Well, it's the Wars of the Roses uh, at the moment. In 1460, the year that James becomes king, uh, Henry VI was captured by Richard, Duke of York. Mm. So Henry's wife, Margaret of Anjou, brings her son, Prince Edward, up to Scotland and seeks sanctuary there. So right. Mary and Margaret have a chinwag for about 10 days yeah. and agree to have an alliance. So there's going to be a marriage between Prince Edward of England and Princess Mary, the sister of James III, right. um, in return for which Margaret of Anjou is going to give Berwick back to the Scots. Anyway, so 1461, it seems like this has been quite a useful alliance because Richard, Duke of York, is killed and Henry VI is rescued as Margaret of Anjou storms down from Scotland with an army with a little yeah. bit of Scottish assistance. But... Richard, Duke of York, has got a very capable son who becomes Edward IV. Yes. Victorious at the Battle of Towton, defeats the Lancastrians. Mm-hmm. And so Margaret, Henry VI, and Prince Edward run back to Scotland. Yes. Uh, now, there's a bit of a dispute between Kennedy and Mary as to what the policy should be. Kennedy thinks that the Scots should just back whoever isn't in power at the time <laughs> to cause problems for the English.
1: <laughs> just, I'm you, let's just be a bastard. <laughs>
0: Whereas Mary is a bit more pragmatic and thinks about playing them off against each other and sort of really seeing where she can get the best deal. I like her. Edward IV is now king yeah. of England and he has an alliance with the Duke of Burgundy. Yes. Mary, the Regent in Scotland, yes, is the niece of the Duke of Burgundy. Oh, uh, fine. So the Duke of Burgundy's like, look, can you stop? Give, you know, messing around with these Lancastrians and you yeah, know, do something with Edward. Yeah. So Mary sends off uh, the royal Lancastrians, makes an alliance with uh, Edward the and uh, in fact, it made an alliance. Edward the Fourth actually did float the idea of them getting married.
1: Well, that's slightly more serious. Why would he do that?
0: Well, marry the uh, Queen Regent. Well, the Queen Mother, the I King of Scots, f- sort out because he doesn't want to have any issues with the North and Scotland. Yeah. So if you can make peace by marrying the Queen Mother and Regent, definitely yeah. no war going on.
1: Yeah, I just thought he would have been um, like the he would have been like the prettiest girl at the ball, and he could have had uh, any of the more powerful monarchies in in Europe. But
0: other niece of the Duke of Burgundy. That's you know, it's not a bad. Oh, that's true alliance. And then if you've got Scotland and Burgundy permanently. On side. On side.
1: And I suppose it's just War of the Roses time, you want stability. Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right, fair enough. But Mary doesn't go quite that far, but she does agree to an alliance. Um, I'm so glad you said alliance. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, she's only 29, Mary, so she's still, you know, oh, got right. a good many years ahead of her, except sadly she doesn't, because in 1463 she dies.
1: Oh, she sounded like she could have been an Eleanor.
0: Her reputation later gets slandered by Bishop Kennedy, who claims that she got married to somebody else and had affairs and all sorts, but... Do not
1: like the cut of this one, Jim. Mm.
0: He continues the government, but then dies himself in about 1464 or 1465. Good. Again, a bit of uncertainty about the dates. But then, in 1466, the instability comes in. We have a coup. The Boyds are the new family in town... The chap called Sir Robert Boyd had served under James II and Mm. been fairly prominent in the Regency, but he doesn't have any kind of royal ties or connections to the Stuarts. But while James was out hunting near Lynn Lithgow, um, he kidnaps him, basically, takes him to Edinburgh and makes James grant a legal pardon to Robert Boyd for taking him and then names (laughs) him as Governor of the Realm. What is wrong with these people? I don't understand why they (laughs) just keep stealing each other. Just... Well, it is a weird one. Like you say, he doesn't really have any sort of a status... He doesn't deserve this kind of status. He doesn't have any royal blood in him. And how does he think that pardon will actually last? It, because obviously as soon as James becomes fully yeah, king... Yeah, just... Whoosh, yeah. And also, James is 14 at this point, so he's not far away from actually yeah. being king. So it's he knows what's going on, James. Yeah. I guess it must be that there's obviously a significant proportion of people at court who think this is a good idea Boyd's a good man to be leading the the show mm. and Boyd maybe thinks well I've been very loyal, I'll govern in the <laughs> vein of what his mother was doing and maybe then he'll just <laughs> overlook Yeah, I've been very loyal so this, this just about makes me neutral Unfortunately he's um, doesn't play it safe and steady mm. He's incredibly ruthless, his brother Alexander was in the royal household and was probably key to actually being able to uh. organise kidnapping James but he was also married to Kennedy's daughter, Bishop Kennedy's daughter, so he's part of the old regime. Right, yeah. So he is then removed from his position and arrested and imprisoned at Edinburgh Castle.
1: But the, the man, Boyd is? The brother, the brother bro- Boyd's yeah. brother. So okay.
0: Robert Boyd's still in charge. And he then starts setting about rewarding himself. <laughs> he makes his son, Thomas, the Earl of Arran, and then has him married to James's sister, Princess Mary.
1: Oh, no, because that, that's irreversible.
0: The one that was originally... You know, betrothed to Prince Edward, the Lancastrian. So she's this crucial marriage person and he just marries her to his son.
1: That's outrageous.
0: James isn't happy about it. Apparently he cries at the wedding, James. Not because it's such a beautiful ceremony, but (laughs) I think he's just (laughs) unhappy about it uh, taking place.
1: And he really couldn't do anything about
0: it? He can't do anything about it. He's not quite at his uh, majority yet. He's a bit too young, but, but he's storing up resentment. Right, yeah. Now, Boyd and his son go off to Denmark to arrange a marriage for James, mm. the daughter of the King of Denmark. But while they're away in 1469, when James is now 17 or 18, of course, they're out of the country. He takes control of government. In their absence, has them uh, tainted for high treason. Good. Now, Boyd, Aaron, and indeed Princess Mary, who seems actually to have been genuinely in love with the Earl of Arran, oh. uh, they flee Scotland. Mm. So the only person who actually... Gets any uh, of the blame for this is poor old brother Alexander who couldn't run <laughs> away because he'd been imprisoned in the castle.
1: Ah, <laughs> right, yep.
0: So he gets executed. Uh, the others all just run away.
1: Executed four times for each of them. <laughs>
0: yes, but 1469, James the third is now king. Good, here we are. Um, he'd been very close to his mother before she died, so he inherits her sort of strong artistic sensibility. So he's quite a cultured. Uh, young man, and he tutored by a man called Archibald Whitelaw, who was a notable humanist who taught at Cologne University. Mm. So he's probably about the best educated Scottish ruler to date, oh. and something of a Renaissance man. He's, you know, He's got the poetry, music, architecture, all this sort of stuff he's interested in. Mm. And ironically, the boys actually really did him a very good service um, while James was attaining the high Treason, because they gave him a very lucrative marriage to the daughter of Christian I of Denmark, Norway and Sweden.
1: Oh, so they'd arranged that in time. Yeah, um, okay. it was
0: actually when Aaron came back with uh, the daughter that yeah. his wife came and gone, we should probably leave, you've been attainted for high treason. Right, okay. But, nevertheless, they did secure him this pre- uh, prestigious marriage with Christian I, as they say, of Denmark and Norway and Sweden. Denmark, Norway. Ooh, so so he's, quite, he's a pretty wow. powerful chap, this Christian I. Um, so this is Margaret of Denmark, the new Queen of Scots. Uh, How,
1: what, what, was the, what was the name of the Maid of... Nor- Margaret. Yeah, that's, Margaret. that's confusing.
0: Yeah.
1: But she was a maid of Norway. Norway, so right. this is
0: Margaret of Denmark. Okay. Um, she becomes quite a popular figure in Scotland, also seen as being very sensible. There's a love of, uh, a love of clothes and jewels. Hmm. And it's a good start for James. He's overthrown the boys. He's got uh, a lovely marriage. 1473, a first son is born. Good. So he's got that out of the way quickly. His first parliament concerns itself with upholding civil justice, and in 1470 he goes on a two-month progress with Margaret to the northeast uh, of Scotland. The tricky bits, yeah. Now Christian I of Denmark, Norway, and Sweden pledged a dowry of sixty thousand florins for Margaret, um, because it's quite a lot. He used Orkney and Shetland as surety if he wasn't to be able to keep up the payments. Now in 1472, Christian was suffering rather from financial difficulties and he wasn't really able to pay very much of it back. So James decides, well, that's fair enough, I'll take Orkney and Shetland. And to this day? And to this day, so this is how Orkney and Shetland finally become part of Scotland. Scotland is now, in 1472, the country that it is today.
1: Whoa, Rex fact! Hmm. That's taken an awfully long time, isn't it? So,
0: late 15th century before Orkney and Shetland actually become part of Scotland. Was there ever to and fro with those? No, but James II had been moving. There's a lot of Scottish influence there, obviously, because it's so close. He also imposes himself on the rebellious Lord of the Isles. Good. So, these are the Gaelic chaps who rule the Western Isles, so the Hebrides, like Skye and Mm. that sort of area, but also they've got the Earldom of Ross on the mainland on the Mm. west coast of scotland very powerful and they've been quite problematic for the last century or so so in 1475 james declares lord of the isles forfeit of his lands and titles and then in 1476 john Macdonald is forced to come to court in edinburgh he's stripped of his lands and titles in front of james and all of the court he's given some of his lands back but now the lordship of the isles is crown property so rather than it being passed from father to son the Lord of the Isles. Yeah, a little weird kingdom up there is now just a lordship that the king can grant to whoever he wants to grant it to.
1: This guy rocks.
0: He's also doing a lot of European diplomacy. He's negotiating with the wily Louis Eleventh, the Spider King, as he's known, of France. Because mm. he's always plotting and very Machiavellian. Um, lots of potential campaigns for James to get involved with uh, on the continent. Mm. Um, now, Louis was stringing James along, really, in this time, to cause problems for with the force. Because France and England are getting towards potential war. But in 1474, James took matters into his own hands and made a truce with England. So his eldest son, Prince James, the Duke of Rothesay, will marry Princess Cecily, who's one of Edward IV's daughters. And he's taking early payments for the dowry before they actually are old enough to get married. Hmm. So it's all looking really rather marvellous.
1: He's getting everything in order, isn't he? Even finances.
0: Mm. As my history teacher always used to say, historians always love a good butt. (laughs) James is not actually massively popular in Scotland. He's got that old Stuart gene of just being really high-handed and dictatorial and annoying everybody in Parliament and the nobles.
1: But they just need to take a step back.
0: Well, so they don't approve of his plans to go on all these continental expeditions. And in Mm. fact, they're refusing him when he keeps on asking for lots of taxation from Parliament. They're not giving it to him. That's
1: pretty good. That's not what you're looking for. Like, I feel like that's what we were looking for from the English kings. <laughs> yeah. But the Scottish kings have had so much trouble just, get first of all, securing a, a, a line of succession and then yep. just getting Scotland as it is, finally. Hmm. Just, you need, a, you need a Henry VII or a James III just to really sort everything out. Let's so just get
0: really, really rich so my son can just blow it all the palaces.
1: <laughs> yeah, but not going <laughs> off gallivanting, no way.
0: Uh, he's criticised continually for not travelling to oversee justice in the kingdom. So you're meant to travel around, oversee justice in localities. James just stays in Edinburgh, basically. He doesn't like travelling.
1: He want oversee justice, not overseas wars. Indeed.
0: <laughs> um, he's got poor relations with the nobles. He's quite high-handed with handing out patronage. And he's criticised for having low-born favourites at court.
1: Uh, that's a bit of an old one, isn't it? It's
0: more of a traditionally English yeah. uh, complaint. Yeah. And he also has a typically Scottish problem, a brother. And not only a brother, but a brother who is the Duke of Albany. Oh, my word. And also a brother who is the Duke of Albany and is a powerful lord on the southern borders with England and doesn't like the fact that they're at peace, because he and all the other border lords, they just like to raid the north of England and have lots of fun taking treasure, killing peasants.
1: Can I suggest something to James III? Send his brothers off. If they love a bit of a bit argy-bargy, send them off on the campaigns. Mm.
0: So it's Albany's not happy about uh, the peace with England. Many of the other lords aren't. So actually, Albany starts to undermine the peace by just conducting the raids anyway, which starts to irritate Edward IV. In 1479, Albany was accused of holding Dunbar Castle against James for some reason. And so James launches a preemptive strike and besieges the castle to sort out his brother. Unfortunately, Albany escapes, goes off to France, and secures himself a prestigious marriage. right Meanwhile, the third brother, the Earl of Mar, is imprisoned and mysteriously dies. Ah uh, am I right? am i wrong its It looks pretty bad for James.
1: yeah, did they not grow up together?
0: Yes, but you know. Scottish brothers Scottish royal brothers at I least I really like
1: my brother I don't think I could siege a castle that he was in
0: <laughs> But maybe he could besiege one of Europe. <laughs> yeah maybe Now Edward IV is watching all of this He's been annoyed about the raids that are going on now In the north of England He's also concerned that there's a potential alliance brewing Between France and Scotland mm. So he decides it's high time To sort out Scotland And he sees an opportunity to do this With the Duke of Albany So, Edward persuades Albany to head over to England, and they sign the Treaty of Fotheringay. So, Albany is now styled as Alexander IV of Scotland, because his name is Alexander, (laughs) and he pledges, basically, to give southern Scotland to Edward IV. Rather similar to what Balliol did for Edward III, and John Balliol and Edward I, and also to break up the old alliance and all this sort of stuff. So, Albany is heading off to invade Scotland with an army of 20,000 led by Edward IV's brother, Richard, the Duke of Gloucester. And we all know who that is.
1: I'm just a bit upset.
0: Hmm.
1: Like, why? Just for power now, and he's going to inherit a less powerful kingdom? He is. It's rubbish. And and actually, hmm. shouldn't Edward know that our James here, the hero of this tale, <laughs> yeah. um, is on his side? He doesn't want the raids and all that. Well...
0: Just a bit upset. So, James, of course, raises an army, prepares to see this off, mm. but the nobles, who have been really cross about all this other stuff we've been talking about, and the fact that in this year James has seriously debased the coinage, mm. they arrest him at Louder Bridge whilst he's on his way to leading his army, and they hang many of his favourites there and then from the bridge. Wow. And then take him off to be imprisoned in Edinburgh. That's
1: dark. So doesn't his army kick off? I well, the nobles, of course, are really, because
0: he doesn't yeah. have a private massive army. The nobles are bringing oh, their the own army. forces, aren't they? Ooh. So, obviously, unopposed, Gloucester and Albany get all the way up to Edinburgh. Yeah. But then they find that things have got a little bit chaotic. Because Albany is up there to style himself king and overthrow his brother. Yeah they arrive to find that the nobles have already had a coup and imprisoned james in the castle yeah but in the castle james's half uncles have launched a counter coup and have taken possession of him but are not working with the nobles
1: so we've got
0: james's half uncles who've got control of the king Mm. the nobles who arrested him but have now lost control and albany who's got english army but
1: does no, can't, no can't one to fight
0: home. exactly? So it's all a bit confusing. That's weird. Whereas James it? is just languishing in a prison, hoping that somebody doesn't kill him.
1: But and uh, just the practicalities of this. Yeah, you, James is in uh, Edinburgh Castle prison. Yes, his uncles, team uncle. Yeah, are half uncles. E- team half uncle, <laughs> Garf uncle hey. are, are in in Edinburgh Castle as well. Yes, where are the nobles just banging on the door saying it's mine.
0: Yeah. Okay. As the, and then ri- that's when Richard, well, Richard, Duke of Gloucester, and Albany arrive and say, Hey, what's, what's all this? On? Where's and, the king?
1: And they're pointing at the castle going, <mumbles> Right. Okay, got
0: it. So, the Scottish nobles and Albany and Gloucester have a bit of a, a chin wag. Mm. They agree to restore Albany to his lands and acknowledge him as Lieutenant General. So they won't overthrow James III as king, but we'll have a situation like we had with Robert II and Robert third, where the brother is running the show, but the king is still there as a nominal figurehead. Okay. Why do they do that? Uh, well, because they want to restore order. They don't want to necessarily have Albany as king. Right. They don't think he's necessarily going to be any better, but equally they're unhappy with James, and they need a resolution. Yeah, because they overthrew James not in order to put yeah. Albany on. Okay. Some no. of them might have been in league with Albany, but mm. it's not necessarily the case that even Albany thought he could actually be king, but Edward kind of demands that that's how it's styled. Mm. Okay. Anyway, so they've made that agreement. The problem is, they need James III to ratify this in Parliament, <laughs> and the uncles aren't going to negotiate and won't allow it. Yeah. And Richard uh, of Gloucester hadn't come with prepared to make a siege, so he just thinks, well screw this or a game of soldiers, heads off home. Leads them to it.
1: So we're no different just minus an English army now?
0: Yes. Right. The key figure in uh, getting a resolution is Margaret of Denmark, Brilliant. the queen and the wife. Good. She has possession of the son and heir, the Duke of, Rothsay, of course, Prince James, at Stirling Castle. And this is potentially key for the survival of James III because if the uncles kill James then automatically we will just have James Fourth king in Stirling and the whole of Scotland will just attack the castle and they will be killed. Anyway, so Margaret and Albany then negotiate and she agrees with the idea of Albany as governor and he will be governor to the prince as well. Yeah. The other useful thing is that Margaret has one of her own men as keeper of Edinburgh, a chap called Lord Darnley. So while the Stuart half-uncles are out, Albany comes to besiege the castle, and Darnley presumably tells his troops not to put up too much of a fight. Yeah. And consequently, Albany, having come to Scotland to dethrone his brother... Rescues his brother <laughs> from Edinburgh <laughs> amazing. Castle. Amazing, <laughs> absolutely
1: amazing.
0: So James the Third is free. Albany has done it, and uh, it's probably all thanks to Margaret of Denmark that we've managed to find some kind of order in this chaos. Good, she sounds brilliant. But
1: I'd love to hear their chants when they first arrived. <laughs> down is James the Second, and then when they arrived the second time, James the Second, come down here.
0: <laughs> James the Third.
1: Oh God's sake.
0: But it's not all over yet, because James, now that things are a bit better, thinks, ah, I see a bit of a chance to really work, (laughs) screw things into my uh, benefit now. This is ridiculous. So James doesn't name Albany as Lieutenant General. Yeah. Doesn't confirm him in all these sort of positions, and he starts negotiating with the lords that overthrew him initially. Yeah. Albany starts making himself unpopular. He adopts the earldom of Mar, that had previously belonged to his brother, yeah. which other nobles maybe felt they had a claim to. Every time Albany tries to reward his supporters, he just alienates other people. Yeah, And consequently, in 1483, James has got the lords back on side, who, even if they don't like him, think, well, it's better, devil yeah. you know. Yeah. And Albany heads off back to England. So James III... Looked like he was overthrown, potentially going to be killed, and instead he's been restored without really doing anything and not having to promise to reform his behaviour or anything at all. So all of that effort was wasted. People died just so they
1: could have exactly the same. It's a bit of a farce, isn't it? It could actually be a staged farce. There's no death. They just went, charging up. Oh, no, game's changed, charge back. How bizarre.
0: Put it on in the West End as the coup that went wrong. Mm. But Albany's not finished yet. Edward IV promises him further aid, but then disaster strikes because Edward IV dies unexpectedly in 1483. And we very briefly have Edward V. Mm. And then, of course, the Duke of Gloucester becomes Richard III. Now, Richard's obviously, has got a bit of a link to Albany, so he still promises a bit of a support. So, Albany in 1484 invades England alongside the exiled last remaining Black Douglas. You remember all the ones that James II had killed off? There's still one chap left who's exiled in England. Anyway, they head off together, but are defeated at the Battle of Loch Marvin. Douglas is captured, and once again, Albany is forced to flee. Okay. I mean, it sounds like Richard didn't really give... He He was willing to, you know, cause further problems for the Scots. Yeah. But Mm. not throwing it all in. Now at some point in 1485 Albany goes back to Scotland but is then captured and imprisoned at Edinburgh Castle. Mm. So we've had a complete role reversal now that Albany is now imprisoned where once his brother was. But Albany's not done yet. <laughs> oh for God's sake. His friend sent him two casks of wine with rope concealed inside. Obviously. in a cake. Gets the governors and officers drunk. Kills them and then escapes out of the window using the ropes. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, the rope is actually too short, so his retainer, <laughs> who went first, broke his legs when jumping from the <laughs> bottom. So Albany uses his bedsheets to make the uh, rope a little bit longer. Oh, Clim- I thought you
1: meant soft landing. for. Oh, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Been.
0: Um, Climbs all the way down and then heads off, carrying his comrade on his back.
1: Oh, that's actually... I wasn't expecting that from him.
0: It's a bit Lord Flashart sort of yeah. <laughs> moment, isn't it? He flees to France, ready to go again. <laughs> Round six. But a few weeks later, he's killed in a tournament. Splinter from the lance of the Duke of Orleans.
1: What through that?
0: Into the eye, presumably. And Albany is finally dead. Okay, okay. So peace
1: reigns supreme.
0: Exactly. Albany. Albany is dead. Mar is dead. Edward the Fourth is dead. What
1: about that? That. Oh, Kennedy died a while back, didn't Kennedy's he? Kennedy's dead. Yeah, They're all least. dead. Yeah. Everybody's
0: dead, Dave. So, James IV. Uh, James the four, James III can now get back on the offensive, or at least back on stable ground. He should just kick back with a cup of Ovaltine and think, <laughs> just leave it be. <laughs> Phew! <laughs> yeah. So, first off, he agrees a truce with Richard III. Mm. And we have another marriage contract between eldest son, the Duke of Rothesay, and Anne de la Pole, who is Richard's niece. Right. In 1485, however, Richard III is killed at yeah. the Battle of Bosworth Field. Yeah. So then we have Henry VII, the Tudors. Yes. 1486, another truce is agreed, this time for three years, and a marriage between James' second son and Catherine of York, which is another daughter of Edward IV, but mm. obviously restored because Henry VII marries Elizabeth Woodville. So that's not quite as, pretty, as prestigious, but, you know, still it's a it's a link. Exactly. Well, it's the, it's the sister-in-law of the king.
1: Oh, right. Oh, that's better than I thought. So it's not so yeah. bad. Hmm.
0: So that's not looking too bad. He's got England sorted again, and obviously Henry VII in a weaker position than the Yorkists, because he's got to shore up his own regime. So and he just not, wants stability. Yeah, so we're yeah. not going to get England invading mm-hmm. Scotland no. anytime time soon. But of course, James still has to deal with his nobles. <laughs> In uh, January 1488, there's a dispute, a long-running dispute, but it comes to a head over Coldingham Priory. Um, So he's had a long-running argument with the powerful Hume family over who's got the rights to control it and appoint a prior. In 1488, James decides he's going to sort it out himself, so he sets up a special meeting to deal with anyone opposing him, threatening to forfeit and effectively declare as treason anyone that's opposing him. Mm. This pushes the Humes and indeed many other noble families into rebellion because they all think, well, if he's just going to arbitrarily take our lands and titles and things were, you know, due, and then calls us traitors for opposing him.
1: Yeah, that's pretty high- heavy-handed, isn't it? High-handed.
0: Mm. So he's starts looking like he's going to face a rebellion, but it's made much more significant by somebody else that he's alienated. For quite a while, he's been living apart from Margaret. Oh. They seem to have become estranged oh. over the years. So Margaret and the eldest son, Rothsay, have been living at Stirling. Hmm. Now, in 1486, Margaret dies. Again, they're not living very long, the uh, Stuart hmm. Queens. Now, Duke of Rothsay, the eldest son, doesn't have any role in James's government. He's been living with his mother. And we'll note it was the second son in the last marriage negotiation, not Rothsay. Rothsay apparently was said that he'd maybe get another Yorkist sister to marry, but there aren't any left. The second son is also elevated in 1488, in fact in this parliament, to become the Duke of Ross. So it seems like James is favouring his second son, the one that's been living with him, over his eldest son, who was with his estranged wife. Yeah, you can
1: imagine why, if, if he's living with him, he be know him better, but that's just storing up trouble. So in
0: 1488 in early February, after this parliament, a lot of nobles are prepared for war, and four days after the January parliament concluded, the 15-year-old Duke of Rothesay, the eldest son, leaves Stirling Castle and joins the rebels.
1: Uh-huh. At the head, like there, so he's...
0: Well, well, I suppose maybe in the next <laughs> episode we'll have to debate to what extent he is a puppet and to what extent he is um, yeah. in charge. But he's old enough to know what's going on. Yeah, He's got motivation in terms of what's going yeah. on with his younger brother and the timing does rather suggest... Yeah. So, it's now rather more serious because we've got father against son. Mm. Both sides raising armies. Um, and then there's some negotiations, the terms for which don't look like they've got any chance of succeeding, but James does actually sign them, Mm. but then immediately goes against them, charges south and attacks some of the insurgents. Oh, that's not cricket. And quite a, well, indeed, and quite a few of his nobles and indeed the clergy who had been on side with him now abandon him. Mm. They don't go over to the other side, but they basically go neutral, a bit like Richard III at Bosworth Field. They just don't Mm. join. Mm and just watch it and see what's going to happen. Consequently, James's force is probably actually smaller than those of his sons. Right. So, the 11th of June, 1488, we have the Battle of Salkyburn. Or Salsyburn. Salkyburn. I'm not sure how to pronounce this. Someone <laughs> will tell me. Delete as appropriate. We don't know much about what happened in the battle, but according to the official inquiry, James III, it to be slain. it happened to be slain. Ah. There are stories of him sheltering, having fled from the battle, sheltering in a mill cottage, only to be stabbed to death, either by some passing knights or a man pretending to be a priest. Mm. So maybe there were some sort of assassins effectively sent to deal with him, or maybe mm. some people just happened upon him and thought, ah, oh, this is a good chance to get rid of him. On the quiet.
1: That sounds likely, especially the wording of I oh, just happened to die. Don't worry too much about <laughs> how just happened to die.
0: Well, of course, the official inquiry for his son, James the Fourth, doesn't really want to label anybody as yeah. a regicide. They're keen to sweep this under the carpet. But either way, fourteen eighty eight, James the Third is dead.
1: That was a roller coaster. <laughs> it really was. To and fro. It was, I mean, there's something in the air at the time with Wars of the Roses and then yeah. this going on.
0: So that is the uh, life and reign of James III. Let's see how he does when we review him. Battleliness. Now, he's sometimes labelled by quite a few historians if you read summary chapters about him as being this sort of rather artistic and sensitive and not really up for the military stuff at all. Hmm. But that doesn't really actually bear out in terms of looking at the evidence. He does have quite a strong interest in military matters, rather like his father, particularly guns. Oh, yeah. Establishes a gun foundry at Edinburgh in 1474 and <laughs> uh, employed masons to cut stones for shots, which are lighter and cheaper than iron. All oh, right. Now, not all of these successes are massively military, but we should acknowledge, in terms of territory, hmm. he does make an acquisition of the Northern Isles, Orkney and Shetland. Of
1: course he does, yeah.
0: So, as I say, Christian I was very powerful... Initially, in his reign, ruling Denmark, Norway, and Sweden, but he's then struggling to hold the empire together, gets into debt and there's been an ongoing dispute with Scotland about them not paying um up their money for the Western Isles that they acquired in the Treaty of Perth in twelve sixty six
1: well the 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 Scots haven't been paid, yeah,
0: right, so they decide to settle the payments or rather just cancel them. <laughs> as part of this marriage agreement. So in 1468, they agree that 60,000 florins and pledge possession of Orkney, initially, as the surety. But in 1469, he'd only managed two of the 10,000 first payment.
1: Okay. 2,000, that is. (laughs) Yeah, but... (laughs) Anyone? (laughs) That's... So he's really clearly not going to pay.
0: So, like any good gambler, rather than cutting his losses, he says, right, fine, fine. The rest of the 8,000 for this first payment... Orkney, as surety. Yeah. So he's now pledging Shetland no, sorry, Shetland for the last eight thousand. <laughs> so he's now thrown both of them in. So when James becomes king properly in fourteen sixty nine, he wants the island. Yeah. So he sidelines the Earl of Orkney, who is a Scottish chap, and he takes Orkney into crown possession rather than it being this earldom of this but other chap. Go way. Which means that once it becomes forfeit, it goes to the crown rather than Mm. The Earl Danish uh, chaps try to renegotiate the dowry And get the payments going But the Scots are like No, 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 taking it Yeah No, it's fine We don't mind You don't have to pay Honestly, it's fine (laughs) So He hasn't had to, you know Fight a battle or anything like that But Mm. he has completed The creation of modern Scotland As it were This is Scotland at its territorial peak
1: Yeah I think he he places that final jigsaw puzzle down, and there's a little
0: ah. Again, not a lot of battleiness, but he does sort out the Lord of the Isles as well. Yes. So, as I said, these are Gaelic rulers in the Hebrides. They've been problematic for centuries, always rebelling and causing problems. Um, Alexander Macdonald had become the Earl of Ross under James the First and James the Second, and then his son becomes the new lord now he actually allied with the douglases against james ii in the 1450s mm. so any chance they've got to undermine the king of scots they take it and in 1462 he made an alliance with edward the fourth signing the treaty of westminster ard Tornish, whereby scotland north of the fourth will be guaranteed to the lord of the isles in return for which he will submit himself to edward the fourth who will take everything that's know, quite a chunk yeah, and then the exile Douglas is then meant to take sort of some of the south as well. So Edward's got splitting Scotland in half between two men who are He's, adherents of him. Yeah. So initially, then um, John's illegitimate son Angus Og <laughs> uh, launched the attack, captured Inverness, and demanded taxes be paid to his father rather than James the Third or the minority of James the Third. But the Scots then made peace with Edward the Fourth and sent a force to push the Islesmen back, and John returns to the fold. Right. So initially, while it's still the Regency and a bit uncertain, he doesn't really cop any flack for this. But in the 1470s, when James III is now much more powerful, mm. he looks for an opportunity to get his revenge and put him in place. Um, supposedly, Edward IV reveals the treason of 1462 when the Scots and the English make their mm. truce in 1474. More likely, James knew anyway, but was just waiting for the right opportunity yeah. when John was weak enough to act. So he censures John for apparently making a a siege of Rothsay Castle and making his son a lieutenant of some kind and declares John forfeit when he doesn't come to answer in trial at Edinburgh. Yeah. Now we don't have a lot of details, but it does seem like James may have led some kind of campaign into the north and into Ross to subdue. But no battle. No battle that survives, Mm. no detail of great conflict. But he may have, you know, gone off with an army and looked hard looked hard mm-hmm. hard enough that John does then come to Edinburgh and in front of a packed court he is richly stripped of his lands and titles kneeling in front of James it's a bit like John Balliol and Edward I mm-hmm. it's real public humiliation now then there's a very sort of stage managed intercession by Queen Margaret who persuades James to give the Lord some of his lands and titles back But he doesn't give him the Earl of Ross, so he's lost the mainland influence, and, as we said, the Lord of the Isles is no more something that's passed down from father to son. Right. Good.
1: That is another great coup, isn't it? He's sorting out the north.
0: And this has a knock-on effect, because John is now seen as being rather weak, and his belligerent son, Angus Og, won't stand for it. So in 1481, he turfs John out of his own hall, and uh, apparently John was forced to spend the night sleeping under an upturned boat. And the country then goes into civil war between father and son. That
1: that part of Scotland? That part of Scotland,
0: yeah, yeah, the Western Isles. And then there's the Battle of Bloody Bay, in which they meet in a naval battle in the Sound of Mull off Tobermory. Angus is victorious, but a lot of the nobles are killed, and half the fleet is sunk. Uh. And this is really the end of the powerful Lord of the Isles Yeah culture the whole system it's the end of the gaelic part of scotland being this separate powerful identity
1: yeah even being subservient to the king of scotland but having its own yeah, yeah.
0: is now just all subsumed and it's not a thing anymore
1: um, i feel a bit weird saying good <laughs> but uh if if the ultimate aim is scotland today hmm. good but
0: everyone loves a big but he's got rather unfulfilled ambitions as you said, there were these negotiations with Louis XI of France. Louis doesn't really have any interest in the Scots, but he just wants to use James as a pawn to cause problems for Edward IV. So he keeps promising James the potential of territory in France, or the bits of France that aren't allied to Louis, uh, in return for you know money and support. So 1472, he wanted to detach James from his alliance with the Duke of Burgundy, mm. who was not in alliance with the King of France. So he promised a joint invasion of Brittany... And James would get to be the Duke of Brittany.
1: Has Scotland ever held any French territory before?
0: Some Scots men have, but not, not really. in the crown. Yeah, not really. So James secures a levy of £5,000 to 6,000 troops and intends to lead an invasion in person. But as we said, the clergy are rather alarmed at all the costs and also think it's a bit too dangerous while he doesn't have an heir and they could be invaded by England. That's a good point. So he's persuaded against it. In 1473... He sees an opportunity to get the Dukedom of Geldras. Where is that? Uh it's where is it? Is it sort of Belgiumish or Hollandish? Sounds like it, isn't it? Hmm. The old Duke feared that he was going to have his territory taken over by the Burgundians, and indeed he faced a rebellion by his own son, Adolph. Oh dear. Um so he proposes to avoid the Burgundians and Adolf getting hold of it, to confer the Dukedom and James, or another, you know, noble Scot, in return for their help.
1: Why a Scot? Just because they were looking for a a scrap. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, So, James apparently was quite keen on the idea. Again, he wants to have a bit of fightiness, but Mm. uh, his father had actually renounced any claim to the dukedom, and then the old duke thought, actually, the Scots aren't going to be any use at all, what am I thinking? (laughs) And just resigned himself to the inevitable and let the Burgundians act as his heirs. (laughs) Right. Then in 1474, when the French are facing invasion from England, uh, Louis promises uh, a santonnage to... uh, James, in what return for launch... So, again, as sort oh, of a place. territory right. in France. In return for James launching an invasion of Northern England. Mm. Which, again, nothing comes of it.
1: He is the nearly man so far.
0: He is the nearly man. Now, you could argue that maybe James actually is... You know, he's getting off as he's thinking, oh, OK, I'll give it a go. And it doesn't happen, he thinks, well, you know. It's not like he launched an invasion and it was a disaster. It just nothing really comes of it. Yeah. So it's not like he's a complete no-hope in the diplomacy.
1: No, I, mean, I don't think... I don't think there's no hope in the diplomacy, he's just not got the old uh, sword out.
0: Now, when war does come to his doorstep, it doesn't really come off particularly well. First off, we had that 1482 crisis, when Albany and Gloucester invade, and when James tries to send an army to deal with them, he just gets arrested.
1: Yeah, well, again, he didn't get a chance nearly.
0: Exactly. So James, leading his nation to defend Scotland from an English invasion, the nobles think, you know what, I'd rather just not have this guy in charge.
1: Oh, yeah. It's a
0: pretty phenomenal time to decide to launch a coup. Incredible
1: timing. Or or the best possible time. They're all there. They've all got their army.
0: And his victory that he has in terms of being restored is pretty weak.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was all... um, I, I loved it great pass, and they decided to settle their disputes uh not like men but like monty python men yes <laughs> uh, put their swords away and they just went charging around the stage but not good for a battliness
0: and the real kick in the teeth gloucester's paid eight thousand marks to leave scotland and on his way home he captures berwick oh no which is the last time that it changes hands yeah. so unfortunately for james he had the completing scotland in terms of orkney and shetland but he's also completed Scotland in terms of losing Berwick.
1: That's funny, that works in the jigsaw
0: puzzle then, actually. Yeah.
1: <laughs> he had that piece in the wrong place and he took Berwick and put it up in the <laughs> Orkneys. That's not a euphemism.
0: And then finally, of course, he is defeated in 1488. So he's, I think, someone will correct me if I'm wrong about this, but I think he's the first one in Scotland to actually face rebellion from his own son and heir. Mm and and lose well indeed and lose he made mistake after mistake James of course those negotiations where he should never have signed these unrealistic peace terms and then by breaking them he just loses yeah. all the support all. he already had he had a mini victory on the 10th of June when he attacked um, a small part of the rebel force that was separated from the main part apparently he was quite near to the site of uh, William Wallace's victory of 1297 oh. so he sees himself as being oh, I'm in the vein of the historical greats so the next day at Soshiburn, apparently he was uh, carrying the sword of Robert the Bruce, or at least had it with him. I don't that know what stage was. That would have been great. By.
1: Imagine if he'd have won, that would have been epic. Because
0: it, it's basically at Bannockburn, yeah. the second battle. So again, he's on site of another great Scottish victory. Um, but it's not a great victory on this occasion for James. We don't know really what happened, but the fact that there are losses on the royal side but not the rebels suggests that it probably quite quickly turned into a rout. Mm. James is forced to run and he's killed. He's the first Scottish king to die in battle, or just after battle, since the 11th century.
1: That's not a good record, is
0: it? It's not a great record, and as we said, it's defeated by his own son.
1: It's just not very good on battleliness. which is a, such a shame looking at him. <laughs> I mean, he, the card... <laughs> he had all the gear, and he kept wanting to use it, was never allowed, and then whenever, whenever he did try was snatched away from him. Mm. I am struggling to see any points there at all. There's that small skirmish victory. Yeah. I feel like the territory is uh, now neutral.
0: Uh, Territory and the Lord of the Isles. The north bit looks much better.
1: Well, okay, so the Orkneys and Shetland cancelled out by Berwick to me. Mm. A bit of the Lord of the Isles stuff. I can't see any points. Mm. I've got no evidence of him drawing a sword.
0: Well, I mean, he's in the battle that he loses. He's in
1: that, yeah. (laughs) That's true.
0: And the skirmish that he won the day before. Uh, And he was off trying to draw his sword when the noble said, no, put that away. Put that
1: right back where you found it. You're coming with me. Feel free to add points to your score to outweigh mine but
0: i can't see any i'm going at that zero he's i mean he's certainly not good when it comes to badliness it's not an area of success i am however going to give him some credit for acquiring that territory at the top and mm. the lord of the isles being dealt with i think that is a positive thing and it's it is actually ironically something that lasts yeah in a way that we'll remember. And he does try with Beric, like all the subsequent negotiations with marriages, he's always trying to have Beric as part of the dowry. Mm. Mm. But he doesn't get it back. Uh, I'm going to give him a two for battliness.
1: I feel that uh, the Heritage playing cards, what they've done there, is drawn a picture of a man in fancy dress. He's not actually in a knight's outfit, though. It's made of that sort of horrible horrible, foamy felt stuff. (laughs) (laughs) If you pushed it it'd all squeeze...
0: So that's just a two for battliness for James III.
1: Scandal.
0: Hector Bowie... Bo- Again, it's one of these, how do you pronounce it? Bowieki? Bowies? Bowick? No idea. Yeah. He claims that Bishop Elphinstone advised James to abandon his licentious and rapacious habits and greatly res- much greater respect his pious wife. Another sort of uh, later historian, George Buchanan, claims that James seduced Lady Crichton and the daughter of a Burgess, whereas other later writers accuse him of lustfulness and sloth.
1: Good. Bit of lustfulness. Lovely. In
0: 1479, his uh, youngest brother, the Earl of Mar, we know very little about him other than the fact that he was arrested and died mysteriously, apparently bled to death in the bath, whilst imprisoned by James.
1: Bled to death in the bath. <laughs> what happened did he fall? Just bled, bled, bled to death, mate. No problem. (laughs) That is super scandal.
0: So he's potentially killed his younger brother, youngest brother. Yeah. And in 1486, there were some claims that he'd poisoned his wife, Margaret of Denmark. Ooh. With uh, the culprit being John Ramsay, the uh, chief favourite towards the end of the reign.
1: Any relation to Game of Thrones?
0: Well, he's a pretty pretty bit of a rotter if he's poisoning the Queen. Uh, But there's absolutely no evidence that he did and it's almost certainly slander against James subsequently.
1: That's the trouble, isn't it? Yeah, someone that dies unpopular like that.
0: There's also, I'm afraid, no evidence whatsoever of illegitimate children or even confirmed mistresses.
1: What about that first one?
0: Well, again, it may just be slander about an unpopular king that comes later. There's a chap called Giovanni Sabdino del Cale Arienti, who wrote a biography of 32 women including Margaret. She's only one of two non-Italian women to be included, Mm. the other one being Joan of Arc. And this is what he says. She was a woman of such chastity and modesty that it was understood that she would have no relations with her husband except for the procreation of children, (laughs) behaving towards him in such a way that when she knew conception had occurred, she declined relations until after the birth, despite his demands, curbing his unseemly desires by good sense and restraint.
1: That, and that was a good thing. But
0: well, it's a good thing for Margaret, because she's so pious. Right. But yeah. in terms of James, that suggests that actually he's just really trying and being frustrated by his wife. Yeah. So maybe... That, did but, a- but the fact that he's being frustrated by her is suggesting that he's actually trying with his wife, rather than that he's heading off uh, with lots of other women. There's no yeah. evidence of illegitimate children or mistresses.
1: Oh, that's a shame.
0: But he did probably murder his younger brother.
1: Hey! Okay, that's pretty hefty. Um... Uh I feel like he would have had a had a had cause to look for a mistress. Murder, lovely. Bit of uh lustfulness and sloth. It's pretty standard stuff, isn't it? I mean mm. the murder's quite punchy. Four.
0: Yeah, I was thinking four as well. I think it's it's less than a five. Yeah. Um the problem is that because he's sort of besmirched by his enemies. Yeah. And of yeah. course, the fact that his son is the one that dethrones mm. him, so they kind of have to make him look bad to justify yeah. all of that. So maybe even some of the, maybe even the Earl of Mar. Maybe you know, we don't know really any details, but I, I think we'll give him the benefit of the doubt and say <laughs> that he did murder his younger brother.
1: <laughs> I really,
0: I about for about
1: twenty minutes,
0: I thought this guy was the <laughs> boss. Yeah. So that's an eight for scandal.
1: Subjectivity.
0: Now, probably not expecting much good at this point, but we do, of course, have the fact that, influenced by his mother, he's a Renaissance man. Yeah. One of his key advisors in the 1470s is a chap called William Sheaves, who became the Archbishop of St Andrews. He had a huge library full of medical texts and uh, texts about astronomy, and he's lavishly patronised by James, who also seems to have taken quite an interest in these subjects. Mm. So he's encouraging that sort of stuff and learning at court. In terms of art, uh, a chap called Hugo van der Goes, mm. Flemish artist, depicted James and Margaret on inner panels of the Trinity altarpiece in Edinburgh, which apparently is the first ever uh, depiction of a Scottish queen. Ah, oh, right. He commissioned the building of a royal chapel at Restalrig, which is a very unusual sort of two-storey hexagonal chapel, Ooh. inspired by the Holy Sepulchre in uh, Jerusalem. Made some, also made some developments to Linlithgow Palace. Patronises many poets including a chap called Robert Henryson, who was a noted Scottish Chaucerian Mm. from Dunfermline. And uh, one of the favourites killed at Louder Bridge, probably just for being in the wrong place at the wrong time, was uh, an English musician called William Rogers. Apparently he's quite a significant figure in Scotland, who helped usher in something of a musical golden age in the uh, century afterwards. He established a musical school, which sort of Mm. bears dividends afterwards. And James apparently sent his favourite lute player overseas to further his musical education. Oh, yeah. but
1: well, yeah. well, please, just go. It's, it's to further your musical education, I promise. The party they had when he left.
0: So we've got some, you know, good sort of cultural stuff going on with James. Mm. He also has some success dealing with the papacy. Right. Um, now, according to Hector Boicki, James was incredibly pious and would burst into tears and prayers at the image of the Christ or the Virgin.
1: Mm. In
0: That's reality... He's really a papal power player. In 1472, St Andrew's finally becomes Scotland's first archbishopric.
1: Oh. They've been trying for centuries to get
0: to that status. Finally, they've achieved it. And it's got jurisdiction over Galloway, the Western Isles and Orkney, which formerly were under the jurisdiction of foreign archbishoprics.
1: Yeah, Yeah, or they had a legate there for a while, didn't Mm.
0: they? So a good step mm, up. Yeah. But James has a dispute with the papacy because he doesn't like the papal nominee, Patrick Graham. He wants his own man, the aforementioned William Sheaves, with all his books on astronomy mm. and medicine. So we have an ongoing issue over who's got the right to elect their archbishops.
1: What's the drill in England? Is it the king?
0: Yeah, okay. basically. So the mm. first uh, pope to try and deal with this, Paul II, uh, granted limited privilege for choosing in St Andrews, but nothing else. It's kind of a Mm. Exception, Sixtus the Fourth resists James's push to uh, have his rights extended elsewhere, and puts up something of an opposition. But then Innocent the Eighth is rather more compliant. Some pretty extensive lobbying from James sees him presented with the Golden Rose in fourteen eighty six, which is uh, apparently the uh, Pope would grant the most deserving prince this Golden Rose Prize for a little pat on the head.
1: <laughs> like you've been like school. Sports Day, I mean yeah. Awards Day. Yeah. Why? What had he done to deserve it again? He's just them really out. nicely. Okay.
0: The next year, Pope uh, Innocent VIII agrees that James can select his own bishops and abbots in major houses. So what will basically happen is that the Pope will wait eight months before saying who's going to be the new bishop so that James can decide who he wants, tell the Pope, and then the Pope will pick that man. Right. So James had a little bit of a victory, though. He's got his own sort of way of choosing the bishops in Scotland, and he's got an archbishopric.
1: I don't understand how he did it, though. How did he persuade the Pope that this is a good idea? Just sweet-talking. Yeah. Mm, great. Mind you, he was good at diplomacy.
0: Mm. What he wasn't so good at was governing the country. No. preferred to stay in Edinburgh. Mm probably helps it to become really firmly established as the capital, but he's expected to travel the country to administer justice, Mm. and he doesn't do it. And apparently Parliament officially objected in 1473, 1478, 1484 and 1485. They keep badgering him about it, but he just really doesn't fancy going out into the sticks.
1: Not even leaving Edinburgh in all those years. Mm.
0: So remember we said right at the start he went on a two-month tour of the north in 1470. For a lot Mm. of people there, that's the last time they'll see him.
1: Mm. Mm.
0: He makes a lot of money by granting remissions for serious crimes So in other words, if somebody kills someone They just give him money and then he lets them off <laughs> uh, In 1477 he agreed to stop doing this But apparently he still had plenty of nefarious income coming in in 1479 It's
1: a great income stream <laughs> Yeah
0: And it's a bad period for the economy in Scotland. There's a general sort of trade recession across the board, and royal income, as a result, is also a bit limited. James six times is rebuffed by Parliament, um, requesting greater taxation. And so to get his own way, in 1482, he gets black money. So he basically debases the coinage and issues it at face value, greatly exceeding its actual worth.
1: Oh, right, okay.
0: And in the meantime, he hoards all of the good money. Yeah. So everybody else is dealing with this debased coinage, while James is just amassing a treasure of proper money. Actual gold. So apparently he amassed a fortune nearly £25,000 which is about two years annual revenue, which for the time is quite an unusually rich position for a King of Scots to be in. Mm. Particularly one that's getting rebuffed by Parliament all the time. And nobles don't really like it. Mm. And neither do the clergy and neither do uh, all the market traders and the burrs. So that's not great.
1: Oh, right, yeah, no, that's blooming awful.
0: (laughs) And generally it's just bad leadership. So the nobles are consistently angered by him removing patronage that he promised, the dispute over the Coldingham Priory helped to precipitate the war that led to his downfall, he's odd with the clergy because they don't like his favourite, William Sheaves. (laughs) Other appointments don't actually succeed. So even though the popes agreed to appoint whoever James wants... The rest of the clergy in Scotland don't. So after this agreement with Innocent, in Dunkeld and Glasgow, actually local men get their way over James.
1: Oh, my, that's damning.
0: So I suppose it's good for his successors as a legacy, but Mm. in his own time, he doesn't really...
1: I suppose this is why he feels he has to be high-handed. It's the only way he seems to be able to get anything done. Uh, Chicken and egg, isn't it? Yeah, true.
0: Consistently attacked throughout the reign for having low-born favourites. Um, various men, as we see, who get executed at Louder Bridge. The only one who survives was this chap, John Ramsay. I think on account of his age and him being of fairly decent birth. Apparently he jumped on the back of James's horse and begged for his life and was successful. Right. But the nobles probably regretted it because he came to then control the royal household and would prevent senior figures in the council from accessing James if James didn't want to see them. So he doesn't learn his lessons. Throughout the reign, this... Does
1: he have a sticky end at the battle? I'm not sure what happens to him.
0: I don't think he dies in the battle. I think he does Mm. live longer, but he loses his prominence, of course. Mm, But most damning of all, both of his brothers rebelled against him, one of whom was executed. His half-uncles launched a coup against him. Yes. Both of his sisters opposed his plans for their marriages. Yeah. He became estranged from his own wife and And overthrown by his own son. So, his, as his biographer said, at close quarters, he probably just wasn't a very nice man. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. That's that's the feeling I'm getting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he might have uh, liked art and poetry and science, but he would have been a pain with it and mm. just a nasty piece of work. Yeah. <sighs> I mean... <laughs> It's really tricky, this one.
0: Yeah. It's
1: quite good for future generations. Yeah. Bad for his reign.
0: Yeah, you wouldn't want it to be a subject.
1: No. I mean, how good is it for future generations? You've got the Pope bit.
0: Yeah. Music, bit of music for the future. Bit of music for the lads. <laughs> poetry for the lads. Ah, oh,
1: bit of poetry. Uh. It's not as good as I'm remembering. Mm. Yeah, two.
0: Yeah, I think I think two as well. It's not, I mean, you know, it's a bit of culturedness, but...
1: I mean, if his only string so far on his threadbare bow is that he was a Renaissance king, there's nothing coming back for that. You know, there's not much Renaissance going on.
0: And let's remember his grandfather wrote actual poetry himself, mm. and I think we'll find James the Fourth, James the much. More, I'm not sure what James the Fifth. James the much more of an actual, real sort of imprint and legacy in terms of Renaissance stuff.
1: So I'm going to have to um, prep myself for giving someone points for poetry. <laughs> yes. yeah.
0: So that's just a four. For subjectivity.
1: Longevity.
0: So. James III is king from the 3rd of August 1460 to the 11th of June 1488, which is 27.83 years. This is where he makes some points. Which gives him a score of 14.5 out not of at 20. At all, not at all bad. Mm.
1: Dynasty! Not the program.
0: He has three children. Mm. All boys. Oh. Which gives him a score of 6 out of 20. Very good. So Let's that see. takes his total score... To 34.5.
1: Hang on, 6 out of 20 isn't very good. Who had... 10. 10 is the score of 20? Yeah. 10 children?
0: Yeah, that was Malcolm III. Wow. Which was useful, because half of them actually became king. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, 34.5 will put him level with uh, David II in joint 16th. It's just... I had such high hopes for this chap. And will he fulfil those hopes? <laughs> because we have to decide, finally, does he have that certain something, that lasting legacy, that great achievement, the star quality that we call... Rex Factor! Um. I am going to suggest what legacy, what significant thing does he leave behind? He finishes Scotland. The yeah. jigsaw puzzle. In terms of, you know, Orkney and Shetland. And he puts an end to a long-standing, problematic Lord of the Isles issue.
1: Can I counter that? Yes. With the, the fact that he uh, finishes Scotland by also losing Berwick.
0: Mm. And really, it was actually the marriage negotiated by the Boyd yeah. Regency yeah. that did it for him. I don't think... I think, any, I think any king in that position probably would have managed to have got.
1: <laughs> yeah. Had the option, <laughs> like, do you want the islands or do you want to wait for this money that isn't going to arrive? Have the islands. Yeah. That's all he did. Yeah. Hmm.
0: Hmm. I think it's going to be a no, isn't it?
1: Well, have you got anything else good? Oh, no. Oh. I mean, no. I didn't even bother writing it. <laughs> <to be honest. laughs> right. Um,. Do we have to list the bad, or is that the past twenty minutes? <laughs> yeah, I think the last <laughs> hour
0: or so. So it's a yes from me. Ooh. No. no, 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 no. James the Third does not have the Rex Factor. That um, it's spo- well, I say spoilers run. I mean, James the First was one that looked like he was all set for the Rex Factor, and then it all went horribly wrong. Yeah, James the Second looked like he was storming to it, did get it, but was cut off. It Was faltering. Yeah, in his prime, James the Third did start well but i'd say i suppose the thing with james the first was it all went south much quicker and it was perhaps more due to the machiavellian uncle mm. than everything being that bad whereas james the third had a good sort of decade or so of really not doing a good job
1: yeah each one had this momentum that petered out either in just victory or failure and this one mm. it'll it all gone by at the end here rubs
0: So, James III does not have the Rex Factor, but if you disagree, then let us know. You can contact us on Twitter, at RexFactorPod, like us on Facebook, and join in the discussions there. Email Podcast at hotmail.com and go to rexfactor.wordpress.com to read the blogs and complete the polls for all these monarchs, and indeed the English ones, to Mm. say whether or not they deserve the Rex Factor. Mm. If you would like to support the podcast, leaving a review on iTunes and subscribing is very helpful. Very helpful. Telling your friends and getting everybody you know to listen is also Mm. very good. If you'd like to buy some Rex Factor merchandise, then uh, go to our Zazzle store, and uh, we'll be doing some more merchy stuff in the coming months Yes. Um, if you would like to support us financially, it's a free podcast of course but if you would like to help, that would be very lovely of you Mm. you can do a one-off donation on PayPal Mm. and there will be links to that on our various websites, or you can pay monthly through crowdfunding, click Be My Patron and join the Privy Council
1: yes, now if you do become a member of the Privy Council you're about to hear what we do next we're about to do a Privy Chamber episode, so we'll Mm. probably have another cup of tea Mm-hmm. Uh, and then sit down for a little more relaxed affair. Discuss the episode, discuss what we've been up to in our lives, and just generally have a chin wag.
0: Read out some of your messages. Yeah. Everybody who pays us monthly uh, gets to listen to the Privy Chamber bonus podcast, which you can't access otherwise. We do them after every one of these normal episodes. Um, if you do $5 a month, you get to access our special episodes, which usually yes. you have to pay $2 a time to buy. We've yep. recently done an episode on Tea and Empire. That was absolutely my favourite podcast for quite some time that one. Um, so if you want to obviously, buy any of those for just $2 then you can listen to T, Brunel The Battle of Waterloo, William Marshall Thomas Boudicca. Beckett, Boudicca Ali's dissertation on Edward the First at Castles Many more to come. Anyway, for $10 a month, you get a Rex Factor mug. $15 a month, you get to commission a blog on the subject of your choice. And $25 a month, you can commission one of these special episodes. So all of the ones we've mentioned, like T, Brunel, Beckett, etc., all of those were chosen by Privy Councillors paying top-level donation. And we've got some to thank. Oh, good. In fact, we've got many to thank, because it's been quite a while since we last did one. Yeah. Uh, Rika N. Timothy Shea, Sue Gaz Lemon, Monica Gibbons, Studio69, M.E.R., Grace Regan, or Regan, Regan, Reagan, Regan, Regan, or Regan. Regan. <laughs> She's got that many surnames. Grace Regan, <laughs> Regan, Regan. Felix McBarnes, Donald Gunn, Kate Houston, N.J. Gill, Chuffman9797, <laughs> Vaj Dij, A. Mellingson, Paul Stukenholtz, Adorador, D. Hafner, Kristen Tibbetts, CJ Graham, and Ungarn. Absolutely my favourite from that is Donald Gunn. That's a great name. That's a great name, yeah. He should be a cop in the 70s. Yeah. And if you haven't done so yet, finally, a lot of messages I'm reading out here, aren't there? Our animation show that we are planning to be doing, please go to rexfactor.com hyphen at the animated show.co.uk sign up for news and updates, you get some free digital downloads and access to videos and trailers and whatnot. Tom produces some fabulous stuff it'll just arrive in your inbox you have a little treat, there it is from Tom, lovely jubbly. And we should should probably say, because we've never done so I don't think, Tom and Mike two Yeah, quite, mouse. yeah that's mean, true. <laughs> it's Because Tom lives uh, in the same town that we do, so we see Tom a lot more. But there are yeah. two of them working on it, and they're both doing a great job. Yeah, thanks, Mike. There's going to be more stuff uh, coming very soon about a, uh, a Kickstarter campaign to get this thing funded, which hopefully people will be interested in. But we're really excited about it. I think it's going yeah. to be great. Yeah. Now, some messages. Okay, David Haffner, uh, one of our new uh, privy councillors, he emails in about Rex Factor sigils. What's that? So, you know, your, like, signs, like, you know, the, um, the dragon. Okay,
1: yeah, yeah. Long lion rampant, rampant yeah. and stuff.
0: He says, what would your sigils and house words be? If I were to hazard a guess, I'd say that Ali's sigil would be, of course, a mighty grey castle on a green field with the house words of crumbs. <laughs> or li- perhaps nuns are welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I like that a lot. If
1: anyone's got anything better than that and wants to send them in,
0: please do. I think maybe there should be a boat sailing in front of the castle.
1: Yeah. Yeah, maybe.
0: Or a plane, or both, flying above it.
1: (laughs) You know the story about the fish.
0: I do. For Graham, I'm guessing a great black microphone over an open book on a red field. The words would be, we have that certain something. Uh. Michael Frederick, uh, at Yamato146 on Twitter, um, says... He's been listening, catching up. Yeah. Now that Henry VIII is out of the playoffs oh. in our original series, the question I've considered is if other Rex Factor winners all had Holbeins, how far does the 28 stone monster get? So in yeah. other words, if we had Holbein-esque portraits for an Athelstan, Richard the Lionheart, Edward I, mm. would Henry VIII still have that same place in our imagination? I'm
1: very sure he wouldn't, because mm-hmm. the—I uh, mean he has an incredible story that obviously would last the test of time, but mm having that that image that's right there it's unfair that if you if you like that book if you have a book of the kings and queens of england it'll always be henry yeah. the eighth on the front because of that holbein yeah. imagine if holbein didn't edward the first mm.
0: everyone oh. would be all over edward the first finally everyone, every, it'd be like the enlightenment <laughs> for everybody would finally yeah. be enlightened exactly Quite a few people messaging in about our last episode on James II. Mm. Mackenzie Walton on Twitter, I almost cheered at the results. I felt so strongly about this Scottish king I'd never heard of before. I was with Ali. James really did have that star quality and would have been a no-brainer had he not died young. James II is like the James Dean of Scottish monarchs.
1: <laughs> um... That's why we do Rex isn't it? shine a light on the unknown mm. one. So that's very nice. Thank you.
0: Charles Canarity on Facebook said, I listened to this just after I got done watching the rugby championship game. It kind of made me think that Ali got Graham to go to the TMO and change your question from Rex, yes or no, <laughs> to is there any reason I cannot award Rex? <laughs> oh, we love a rugby comparison. <laughs> he deserved it. Mark Summers also on Facebook says, for a while there, I thought Graham might have to be making a r- boat rowing apology sometime <laughs> down the track. The right decision made, I reckon. Oh, I love our listeners. However, Alyssa Kimberley on Twitter disagrees. Oh,
1: I hate our listeners. I don't really.
0: Not convinced he deserves to be on the Rex Factor mountain. Seems a bit average to me. I bet he will get clobbered in the finals by a fishy angel.
1: Yeah, he probably will. Mm. But the, the, the um, clobbery angel needs a um someone to... Cl- fish
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean <laughs> so messages from our new Privy councillors Stephen Harvey I think a one yes one no was about right for Edgar the Peaceable thank you but your decision on William Wallace has got me foaming at the mouth Oh, he was utterly rubbish Brutal raid into England, rebutted by brutal raid into Scotland. One battle won because of an egregious English mistake that a decently sharp five-year-old could have warned against. A crushing defeat from which he ran away, then a few years scuttling abjectly around before being captured and executed. Romantic legend? Yeah, whatever. Rex Factor? By the holy face of Luca, no! (laughs) Both England and Scotland, and particularly the peasants, farmers and foot soldiers thereof, would have been a lot better off if he'd never been born.
1: He's pretty good at this. Hmm. If, I mean, if
0: anything ever happens to me, get in touch with that channel. Well, I'm convinced. <laughs> uh, Sarah Costa says uh, apparently she listens to Rex Factor while running, so she's named some of her runs after the episode she listens to. <laughs> that's fabulous. So she's got a 13-mile loop that's called Ali's Loop because it's your special episode on Edward First and his oh, castles. Oh,
1: good, good.
0: She messages... I was struck by how often the weather has a significant impact on the outcome of battles and other events. From Agincourt to the defeat of the Armada, weather seems to play a key role. I was wondering, in your opinion, which events in English history had the most significant impact by the weather. My second question is, has Ali seen the film Lion in Winter yet? I can vouch for its awesomeness. I've always been fascinated by Eleanor of Aquitaine, and Catherine Hepburn is amazing in the role.
1: Um, firstly, that sounds like an excellent special episode.
0: Weather and... Just
1: call it weather weather and history or something. <laughs> yeah, we've had
0: tea and empire, now we can have weather and empire. <laughs>
1: yes, yes, see what happens uh, throughout... Uh, what was the got other one?
0: Tea... Uh, not tea you got the Spanish Armada, of course, famously. Yeah. William uh, III, I think, weather played quite a key role in blowing him to England, whereas, yeah. obviously, Armada was blown away. Yeah. William the Conqueror was delayed for quite a while by weather, and then there was the delay meant Harold II went north to deal with the yeah. uh, Viking threat, and then it cleared, yeah. and William was able to land.
1: It's a good episode right in there. Mm. Um, have I ever seen line in Winter?
0: Would you like me to tell you what the line in Winter is?
1: Yes, well, I was going to ask you that that was a question.
0: But it was gonna answer the <laughs> question. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's um it was originally a play, but then in the sixties was made into a film. So it's Henry the Second at court at Christmas, where he brings his imprisoned wife, Eleanor Aquitaine, to court, along with his rebellious sons Richard, John and Geoffrey. So that we've got
1: horrible Christmas.
0: Peter O'Toole is Henry the Second, Catherine Hepburn's Eleanor Aquitaine, Richard is played by Ah, uh, uh, what's his name? Silence of the Lambs
1: Richard Attenborough David Attenborough What? (laughs)
0: Hang on No and no Anthony Hopkins Anthony Hopkins (laughs) David
1: Attenborough (laughs) And here The Lion in Winter
0: (laughs) Um, In his first film role Anthony Hopkins Oh right And uh, the King of France Is Timothy Dalton No it's not (laughs) It is
1: Timothy Dalton Bond Yeah do you not mean David Attenborough? <laughs> I find that David Attenborough exactly.
0: is more realistic than Timothy Dalton. Um, it's her favourite film. Apparently, because I've been re-watching West Wing recently, it's also President Bartlett's favourite film. Ah. Martin Sheen and the West Wing. Anyway, obviously the answer is no. Ali has still not seen it no. or remembered that he's been told about it. No. See Golubsk? Yeah. I thought Ali's act of contrition to Edgar the Peaceable, who totally should have gotten the Rex Factor, was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. <laughs> Thanks for all of this knowledge and entertainment. <laughs> Timothy Shay simply said, in brackets, insert obligatory Edgar the Peaceable Gripe here. Good. Gaz Lemon says, shout out to my fellow Rax Factor listener, Tim Tiny Say. What? Say being a surname. Okay, I'm not, right. Yep. I'm not asking you to. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> and finally, now you pronounced this name correctly last time. Let's see if you can do I it did. a second time. Bottom, Where is it? Bottom person before the quotes. Oh, Yes. Lorena Enriquez. What king or queen do you think the other is more like? And who do you wish you would be more like? Oh, that's a great question.
1: (laughs) Um, Graham. Mm. Henry VII.
0: Mm. Steady ship. Doing the work, the bureaucracy. Um, Getting that paperwork done.
1: uh, uh, Is that a bit unfair? Because you, you, he's not known
0: for being funny. and You are funny. You make me laugh a lot. Mm. Who was, who was good? Well, apparently Henry the actually was more a bit more flamboyant than we assume. Apparently, he did have quite colourful sort of events and courts and spent okay. money and did spend money or stuff. And you would play tennis. He liked his tennis and. Henry the, Henry VII. the Seventh. <laughs> there we go. Henry the Seventh, definitely, definitely. So, you're, uh, if,
1: if you ever have children, watch out.
0: Mm. Uh, for Ali, I think obviously it's got to be. Charles the Second.
1: Oh, thank God! <laughs> I looked up, then I've forgotten that you
0: had to, had to name one as well. Woo! I'm happy with that. Third of parting. Mm. Who would you like to be more like? Uh, Charles the Second. Mm. Mm. Anyway, thank you very much for all your messages. Uh, please do keep sending them in. It's a fun part of the podcast. And yeah. even if you're way behind by the time you get to this, and we're on another series, yeah, we we'll still awesome. like to read yeah. them out. Yeah. So that is it for James the Third, who did not have the Rex Factor. Next time we'll see whether his rebellious son, James the Fourth, will fare any better.
1: Um, until then I'm off I'm just gonna go to the privy chamber ahead of you, all right. So I'll, see, I'll see you there. I'll see you there. Cheerio. Bye. As a plant-based cheese company, Dea has never talked about beef in an ad before because someone somewhere once had a beef with saying beef and plant-based together. So putting a slice of Dea cheese on a beef burger, not okay. Well, our delicious melty cheese has a beef with your beef about beef because any step towards plant-forward eating is a step in the right direction. Dea, 100% plant-based, even if you're not. Now made with Dea Oat Cream Blend.